Uh, good morning, everybody. This morning I remembered the mute button, so we're off to a good start. Um, I also brought the, the library, so I want to read, by way of introduction, another two text verses to you. Um, the first one is the book of... Um, Matthew chapter 3. So if you want to just page to Matthew chapter 3. So for those who weren't here last week, we talked last week about who is the Holy Spirit. And so today we are going to continue our talk on the Holy Spirit. And we cannot talk about the Holy Spirit and not at least read about Jesus' baptism and the day of Pentecost. So let's read about the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, the first six verses. Sorry, not the first six verses, verse 13 is where we start. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do not come to me. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. That means comes to rest on him. So I had to look that up. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So that's what's happened at the baptism of Jesus. And then in Acts 2, we read about... the day of Pentecost. And this is the day that the Holy Spirit um, was poured out on the the people in Jerusalem. So we read there the first six verses. Acts 2 from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them all. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each heard their own language being spoken. So I think it's important for us to keep that in our mind when we talk about what the Holy Spirit does. Our talk today will be focused on what the Holy Spirit does. We spoke last week about who He is. Today it's about what the Holy Spirit does, but more specifically, what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. Like I said last week, the topic of the Holy Spirit is such a big topic that we cannot cover all the aspects. And there's most likely something about the Holy Spirit you want me to say this morning that we will not get to. 
For instance, we see the Holy Spirit at work in all of creation, in the whole universe, the most far-flung star, that's the work. The Holy Spirit is there. And the most intimate molecule in us, or all living beings, the Holy Spirit is there. We also see in Galatians 5 and verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Then there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we will also not be able to get to in one talk. We have all the titles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the author of Scripture. He's called the intercessor. He's called our guide. He's called the indweller of believers. He's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life, the teacher. He's called the witness, the Spirit of truth, the convictor of sins, the sanctifier, the comforter, the counselor, the advocate. So there's many, many Sundays to talk about that. And the last bit from the library I want to read to you is from the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's question and answer number 35. Sorry, number 53. The question is, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Firstly, that He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. So that is the point we established last week. Secondly, He is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all His benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. So that is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to start today by just doing a quick recap of what we discussed last week. Um, We talked about who is the Holy Spirit. We talked about three building blocks. The first block that we discussed The first thing was that the Holy Spirit is a person, and that person of the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and He stands beside the Son and beside the Father, equally worthy of worship. We discussed that the Holy Spirit is unique in the same way that God the Father is unique and that Jesus is unique. The second thing we discussed was the relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we called the three together the Holy Trinity. We discussed that it's holy because this Trinity, this three persons, is unique. There is nothing like it. We said God the Father, His role in the Trinity is that He plans. He plans creation. He plans salvation. And then we discussed that God's plans is not like human plans. When God plans something, it happens. So God's plans is equal to God's decrees. So when God speaks, it happens. We then discussed the Son. The role of the Son was that He accomplishes, He achieves, and He carries out. So Jesus achieves or carries out all that the Father has planned, all that the Father has decreed. And he brings it into reality in our physical world. So Jesus accomplishes this. John 1.3 says that nothing was made that wasn't made through Jesus. Through him all things were made. 
So through Jesus, all things were achieved. So Jesus carries out creation. He achieves salvation. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and His role of applying or administering. He applies all the plans of God the Father. He administers all that Jesus has achieved. So the Holy Spirit applies and administers to us all that we need for our life of faith. He equips us to bear fruit, like we see in Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we also discussed that He is personal. He is a person, but He's also personal. And the Holy Spirit applies all of these blessings of belonging to this new kingdom that Jesus ushered in is applied to us as believers by the Holy Spirit. That was the second building block. The third one was we talked about how the Holy Spirit reveals Christ. The revelation of the Holy Spirit is always Christ-centered, without exception. It's never self-centered. The Holy Spirit is never about me. It's always about Christ. The application of the Holy Spirit in the personal life of a believer is to transform that life and to reveal Christ. The Holy Spirit is involved in the work of God in this world because He is God. The Holy Spirit is often presented as the power of God in this world and is often uh, presented as the control of God in this world. And I do feel the need to clarify that the activity of the Holy Spirit and the three persons of the Trinity is always unified. They never work separately. Anything that one person of the Trinity does, he does it along with the other two. For example, we discussed the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 8.11 and 1 Peter one, uh, sorry, 3.18 says that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. But Acts 2.24 and Galatians 1.1 1, 1 says that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. But then in John 2.19 we read Jesus says, his own words, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. So who raised Jesus from the dead? Who raised his body? Last week our focus was on the Holy Spirit. So we pointed to the Holy Spirit. But it was not only the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus himself. It was God the Father. Any one person of the Trinity never acts without the other two. They are always in perfect unity. So I thought that just needed clarification. So that's a quick recap from last week. That's what we discussed, who the Holy Spirit is. And so I think the logical question after understanding all of this and before we launch into what the Holy Spirit does is why is it even important to know this? Why is it important to have in-depth knowledge of our God? Why can we not just superficially carry on? Well, we know we are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through the truth revealed in Scripture alone, 
to the glory of God alone. That is the Bible in five topics. And so where does this fit in? Where does fitting in who the Holy Spirit is and what He does? Well, the Holy Bible teaches us all of this. So it's the truth of Scripture alone. So we need to understand the truth that is revealed to us so that we can have a correct faith. And this is the faith that saves. So if you don't have the correct faith that saves, you don't have a saving faith. And if you have the wrong image of Christ revealed to you, it is not through Christ alone, is it? It's like baking a cake. If you don't have the right ingredients, you're not going to get a cake. If you try and bake a cake without flour, what will you get? Just a mess. You cannot call it a cake. It's the same as a car without petrol. It might be a very nice looking car, but you are going nowhere. It's not going to move. Have you ever met anybody that says that they're a Christian, but they don't go to church, they don't read the Bible? I have. And this person told me that his church is in his heart. And he doesn't read the Bible because the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And he does feel that he's a good person. And so he's content with that. But this person is making a complete false distinction between the Holy Spirit and God's Word, the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. The Holy Spirit will not speak to you without speaking through the Word that He has authored. And He's making a complete false distinction between the church and the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. So Christianity starts and builds on this rock-solid truth. And that's where we need to start. Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, similar to last week, I'd like to start with having a look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and what He does in the life of believers. And we have a look at the bit that I read from Matthew 3.16 where we read about the baptism of Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God ascending like a dove and came to rest on him. So this is the moment where Jesus' ministry started. Jesus did not preach or teach or do anything until he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. From our text last week, was Isaiah 11 in verse 2, we saw prophesied the effect of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. We saw seven aspects of the application of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. Isaiah 11 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit, this branch being Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of understanding, Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might and power, the Spirit of knowledge, 
in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So this is how it was applied to the life of Jesus. And in John 3, we read about a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. And Jesus explains to Nicodemus that he needs to be spiritually reborn to be saved. So remember, Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee, which means pretty much he had a PhD in the Old Testament. So he knew the scriptures. He knew exactly what was prophesied, but he missed the point. And the point that Nicodemus missed was that our spiritual condition is dead. Nicodemus thought that everything was in the physical, but he missed the point, and Jesus says, no, to be saved, you need to be reborn. And he explains to Nicodemus that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And so we get to the first verse of the text that we read this morning from John 15, verse 26. And here it's Jesus speaking. And he says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the first thing we need to understand here about the Holy Spirit is that he does not work on his own like we have said before. And from this text verse, we can see very clearly that he is sent by Jesus. And he comes from the Father. So again, the three persons of the Trinity working together. Jesus says the same in John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And again, Jesus says in John 14, 26, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. In Luke 24, Jesus also says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. So very clearly, four times there where Jesus said, I am sending. The second thing to note is what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. He calls him the Advocate. And just to make it difficult, we're going to look at the Greek word, and it's called parakletos, which means helper or advocate. So it's got a broader meaning than the English word advocate. And remember the context of where Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, they have had the comfort of his presence and them visually seeing him. And they were distressed at the thought that he was leaving. And so Jesus promised them another comforter, another one to lead them, teach them and guide them in the same way that Jesus has guided and taught them. So it's in this context that Jesus says, I will send you a helper, an advocate. So remember, an advocate is somebody that helps you in an arena where you cannot help yourself. So in the legal court of law, you need an advocate to state your case before the judge and to defend you because you cannot do it yourself. 
you do not have the ability to do it yourself. So when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is our advocate, he is saying that he is sending the Holy Spirit to be alongside us as a helper to provide all that we need for our life of faith, including the parts that we cannot do ourselves. And note here that Jesus is not saying that he's sending the Holy Spirit for all that you require in your life of prosperity or your life of wealth or your life of health or your career. This is not what he's saying here. The helper, the comforter, the counselor, the advocate that Jesus promised, that the Father promised, is the Holy Spirit and he comes from the Father requested by Jesus to be alongside us. The third point to note here from verse 26 is where Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit. So we see that Jesus is sending, but where is he sending? It says, I will send it to you, to you personally. And each one of the other verses the same. I will send the helper to you. We said this last week and in the revision this morning, the Holy Spirit is a person, but he's also personal. And this is exactly where the Holy Spirit becomes personal. Jesus sends him to you from the Father, not as a universal force or as an unpersonal force or a genie that just brings blessings and good things. No, Jesus sends him to you as a helper as a teacher, as a comforter, as an advocate. Why? Why does Jesus send it? Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. So Jesus sends it because we cannot do it ourselves. He gifts us the Holy Spirit to do these things, to help us with what we cannot help ourselves with. Jesus said the Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. And he said you needed to be reborn to be saved. And so he sends a helper, which is the Holy Spirit, to do what we cannot do. And that is bring life to our spirit. We cannot do this on our own. Jesus has achieved it. He has accomplished it. And the Holy Spirit is sent to apply it to our lives. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to you personally. Each one of you sitting here this morning. You are here, brought here by the Holy Spirit. Whether you agree with that or not, it is true. And the Holy Spirit wishes to make your physical body his dwelling place. His place of residence. 1 Corinthians 16, 6 verse 19, sorry. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is not your own. It belongs to Jesus. He is the one through which everything was created. Again, whether you like this or agree with this or not, it's true. 
So why? Why does Jesus personally send the Holy Spirit to you to be in your body? Why? Why could it not just be that the Holy Spirit is sent to the corporate body, which is the church, and everybody gets the same blessing equally? Why not just send the Holy Spirit to the whole country, or to the whole earth for that matter? Well, we saw what Jesus taught for Nicodemus and said, no, at the fall, death entered the world. But that death was spiritual death. And this needs to be rectified. And this is God's plan of salvation. This is what God the Father planned. This is what he decreed. And this is what Jesus has achieved. And so we turn to our second text from this morning. And coincidentally, it's, our focus is on the first verse of the first text and the last two verses of the second text, of the last text. So it's Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are our God's possession to the glory, to the praise of his glory. So we see here the purpose, why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and why does he send it to you personally as a helper is to give a guarantee. That is the purpose why the Holy Spirit is sent is to provide a seal or a guarantee. But this guarantee is not what you might think. It is not what you might think. The Holy Spirit is not sent to you as a guarantee so that Jesus knows if you are saved or not. No. The Holy Spirit is sent so that you can have a guarantee of your saving faith. God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit doesn't need to know where your faith is at. They know. They don't need to send the Holy Spirit through the universe to keep track of where everybody's faith is at. No. And unfortunately, as humans with our free will, we tend to think that that is how it works. But that kind of thinking leads to a life of worry. And a life of uncertainty because there, there is no guarantee. Without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, there is no guarantee. So the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they don't need to know where your faith is at. They know. But Jesus sends the Holy Spirit personally to you so that you will know where your faith is at. So that you have guarantee of the promises and what what is in that guarantee in that guarantee is a, a unshakable knowledge of what Jesus has done and that it's true remember the disciples saw Jesus they saw what happened to him but we believe in what we cannot see so this is the bit the Holy Spirit does for us it gives us that same unshakable faith of what Jesus has done and that it's true. 
And that is the point of having a saving faith. And then all the promises of what Jesus has promised in his word becomes just as true to you. So the Holy Spirit then brings certainty. This guarantee that Jesus sends, he sends for your benefit. He doesn't need the guarantee. He has achieved everything already. But it's for your benefit to know that you belong to him and that all his promises are true. So 2 Corinthians 1.22 says the same. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. It's another word of saying a guarantee or a seal of what is to come. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 again confirms the same thing. Now the one who has fashioned us for the very purpose is God, for this very purpose, whom has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, what is to come? Jesus. He promised that he'll come again. And what happens when he comes? He will judge the living and the dead. And this is the certainty that we have. This is that what compels you where, when you're on this side of the line and you have not put your faith in Christ yet. This is a warning to you. That the creator of this world, everything was created through Jesus. He is coming. And you will stand before his throne and give account for your life. But when you have received him, you will stand before the throne and you will be forgiven. You will enter into heaven with him eternally. So first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is our seal, is our guarantee of all that Jesus has achieved, all his promises and all that is still to come. He's our guarantee. In other words, redemption, eternal life. And we said, why do we need this? We need this guarantee because we need this firm belief in what we cannot see. And this is one of the problems with our, our intellect gets the best of us. We think that we need to prove God through science. Or you can do some experiment to prove that God exists. But Jesus says, no. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to prove to you that what I've done is true. No experiment can do that. No experiment or any will or any decision that you take in your life can bring life to your spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can. Galatians 3.14 Paul says, that Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles, which is you and me, through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. So where the Holy Spirit is truly at work, we see 
the same activities as in creation. We see light being brought on the truth of Scripture. We see light being shed on the truth of Scripture. We see order in worship. Remember the Holy Spirit in creation brought order out of chaos, out of darkness. We see new life as the Holy Spirit and God breathed life into Adam's nostrils. We see new life in the church. We see new believers. But not only that, we see change in the people that are, are in the church. Because the Holy Spirit does not just apply this guarantee to you once, but He applies it always. Jesus says, I sent the Holy Spirit to be with you always. And as you continue to live in this guarantee, the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Scripture to you more and more and more. And the depth of the guarantee and the safety that you have in Christ increases. This is what we see where the Holy Spirit is at work. So you see, when you miss the key ingredient of your cake, you don't get a cake. You get a flop. You get something that will not stand the test of the person that needs to eat it. I will push it aside. When you have a car, doesn't matter how much effort you've put into that vehicle, how many extras you've had put on. If it doesn't have petrol in the tank, you are going nowhere. All the titles of the Holy Spirit, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit will be experienced by you in a superficial way, in a self-centered kind of way, in a deceitful kind of way. The Holy Spirit is sent to you by our Lord Jesus, to you personally, not to the church, not to the world, but to the people of the world. The Holy Spirit is sent to you and me so that we can share in the victory of Christ. And so much more than that, in the benefits of His victory. It's not just knowing what He's done, but it's the benefits of being in that, being part of the team that has won. You share in that joy and in that victory. The Holy Spirit is sent to us to comfort us, to counsel us. The Holy Spirit is sent to reveal Christ as the only Savior of this world. And He's sent to you and to me to remain with us for always. So remember what we said last week. The Holy Spirit is God. And now Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be with you. So it's God with us. It's not a, a lesser God. The Holy Spirit is God. And He is sent to you personally to reveal Christ. Today, if nothing else, you should leave here with a renewed joy in your heart and sing praises to the Lord Jesus for realizing what He's done, the gift that He has sent by sending the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we will not be here. The church will not exist. The proclamation of the truth will not happen. Everything that we do in our life of faith is made possible through the Holy Spirit. 
that Jesus has sent. And if today you are here and you haven't quite reached that point, you have heard the story about Jesus 2,020 odd years ago, and you've not quite come to the point where you have seen this to be true. Think about this. Whether you like it or not, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that you are here this morning and you are hearing this message. Revelation says, hear what the Spirit is saying. In Revelation, it speaks to the churches of the world and say, open your ears. For those who can hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit is saying, look at Jesus. He is the true light and the true life of this world. Believe in Him and receive this guarantee. Receive this peace. And He will always be with you. Amen. Let's pray together before the musicians come up. Our God and Heavenly Father, Lord, through Jesus we pray and we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we praise you and we thank you through our Lord Jesus and through our Father. Forgive us that we get it so wrong. Forgive us that we do not understand your ministry in our lives. Lord, through your grace, please help us to have less of ourselves and more of you. Help us to stop resisting with our sinful flesh and to accept you as our, our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, we praise and thank you for sending the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, guaranteeing what you have done and what is to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand once more. Um, maybe we'll all take a moment to uh, invite the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, please do stand. Um, to really let the words of this song be coming from.